This is your coffee break. Hello, friends. I have with me today a very special guest, one of my very good friends and a, an original and avid listener to the Right Now podcast. Um, I am proud to call him my friend. Abraham Allende is the, let's see, I want to make sure I get this right, the Bishop of the Northeast Ohio Evangelical Lutheran Church of America Synod. Is that correct-ish? The Northeastern Ohio Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I should have just let you say it. (laughs) So many words. But he is an amazing man with an awesome history and just a a great story. Um, He has been instrumental in changing lots of people's hearts and lives and sharing stories with them just throughout his entire life. And so... So Abraham, can you give me just a short introduction about who you are and anything that you'd like to say? Okay, well, um, thank you, first of all, for allowing me to be a part of your uh, Coffee Break podcast. I'm an avid listener, as you said, to the Right Now podcast, and um, it keeps me company a lot of times on the way to work. (laughs) So so thank you very much for that. I was actually just listening to one uh, about a half hour ago. When I don't want to listen to, you know, all the horrible news of the morning and everything else, I just, uh, I put in a podcast. And so you're, you're one of my uh, road companions. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. And that's been one of the fun things about podcasting is uh, becoming a part. Uh, okay, this is going to sound really pretentious. Accompanying people where they go. I had a couple say that they were going on a trip to, I think, Vermont. And they said, yeah, we just downloaded all of your episodes and listened to them. And you kept us company on our trip. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. So, you know, a lot of people listen to audiobooks and I I'm not a big audiobook fan because I tend to get distracted on the road, but for some reason podcasts since I know that they're short and there's a purpose for them, uh, they're a little more engaging whereas if you, you know, if you just listen to somebody droning on, you know, reading a book, it just doesn't hold my attention and, you know, 10 minutes later I'm like what did he say? What, what happened here? I missed. I missed like whole ten minutes of the. You know, oh, I'm so I'm the same way. Yeah, yeah. I'm originally from Puerto Rico. Uh, my family uh, came to the mainland United States when I was seven years old. We settled in the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania. I was educated there. Came to Ohio originally to teach school, and I taught Spanish and French in the. Uh, Akron Public Schools for six years, but I had this fascination with broadcasting ever since I was a child. So I decided to uh, take some um, broadcasting courses at a broadcasting, one of these quickie schools, and they placed me in my first job, which was in Lexington, North Carolina. From there, after a year, I came back up to Ohio. I worked in Canton for about 13 months. Then I was in Cleveland for about 25 years. And uh, then I was uh, asked by the Cleveland Indians to come on board and be their director of community relations. And from there, again, one of these other calls that I had or these tugs was uh, ordained ministry. I went to seminary, uh, left this this tremendous job, but uh, I felt a stronger sense of call. And I went to seminary and um, I started in the ministry in 2003, which was when, when I was officially ordained and uh, served a uh, Latino congregation in Canton, Ohio. And from there, I was called to the Lutheran Church of the Covenant, and I was there for five years. And very unexpectedly, 
in uh, May of 2014, I was elected bishop, something that I never in my life imagined would ever happen. And even now, after uh, over a little bit over a year, I'm still pinching myself and wondering, you know, sometimes I wonder, what were those people thinking? <laughs> uh, they were thinking good things. Well, thank you. One thing I love about your story is I think that so much of your life and your career, at least what I know of it, has revolved around language. Yes. I hadn't even known, I hadn't known that before uh, you worked with the Cleveland Indians, I didn't know that you taught French and Spanish. I had no idea. And so your entire career has revolved around language. I love that you started off as sort of a teacher, and then you moved into broadcasting, which is also words, and then you moved into ministry, which uses words to spread a larger message and to sway people and move their hearts. And so there's just so much going on here. Can you tell me... Um, what your thoughts about your relationship with language are? Well, first of all, I believe very strongly that words have power. And uh, I use a couple of little uh, phrases or poems that, uh, that are, they may seem simple on the outside, but, but I really think that have, they have a profound message. And one is, words like eggs are tender things. They should be handled with care because words once spoken, like eggs once broken, are difficult to repair. And um, and I and I use that especially in in recent years when um, you know the political climate has gotten so polarized and, and and people just begin to to demonize each other when they disagree and and I think we need to think and pause as to what the languages that we use and I, I just I just I, again I believe words convey a very powerful message. And um, they're almost, uh, if I can be so bold as to say, they're sacred because you need to uh, treat the other person. You know, we're all created and loved by God. And I'll try not to get too churchy <laughs> in this interview, but, but we, are, we are all creatures created and loved by God. And, and, and I think that we ourselves are called to show that same type of love to our fellow human being. I love that. And you can use words to do that in any language, in any profession. I love the idea of words as sacred. Can you go into that a little bit more? Well, yeah, we, we are given the gift of language. And I think as with anything that we are given, we, we need to treat it in a way that we appreciate it. You know, everything comes from God, and God has given us this great gift to use to glorify God. And, and so, so there's where I think the sacredness comes in, um, because if we use words to build and not to destroy, we are doing what God calls us to do. Um, and, and, and that's what I always hope to do, and I hope I, I don't, I mean, every so often I do get angry enough to, and I fall short of that, but I just feel it's, an, it's our obligation to use words in, in a very positive manner. And even when we disagree with people, we can be open to hearing the other person respectfully and then making our case for our viewpoint. You know, there is uh, the opening of the Gospel of John. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I didn't think about this earlier, but it just came to me as we were talking. I said, oh, yeah, you know, that's why I believe, I believe words are sacred. So we talk about words as sacred and sort of, is that how you see a message conveyed through words? Is the message then sacred? Or I just know that you do a lot with teaching and educating and preaching. And I'd love to know 
um, how you use those words to build and convey a message. And if that's different when you're writing and when you're speaking. Let, let me talk about writing first, because most of my writing involves sermons. And I am uh, one of those preachers who is married to the manuscript. I don't stray too far. I don't do a lot of ad-libbing. This is why this this in itself is, is a big transformation for me that I, I'm having this half hour or so interview without any notes or anything because I'm not usually comfortable in that kind of a setting. But when I, when I write a sermon, well, first of all, I have to write for the ear because I'm not writing. Sermons are not written to be read. They're written to be spoken. And so my writing tends to be a little less flowery than, than you know, it's not, a, it's not a work of literature. It's, it's putting my message down in writing so that I don't stray too far from it. And so I have to be concerned about writing for the ear as opposed to writing for the eye. I consider sermon writing more interpreting than creating because what we are doing when we are preaching is we are interpreting uh, usually a scripture text, the word of God. So therefore, I want to make sure, first of all, that I am true to that particular uh, passage of scripture that, 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 I'm, that I'm interpreting and that I give the person uh, at least what I think you know, I hopefully, hopefully God is saying through me to the people. And I know one of the other, and I may be uh, digressing here a little bit, but I always say to myself too, I don't write just one sermon. I write 50 or 60 or 70 sermons or however many people there are that are listening to it because mm -hmm. everybody hears it a different way. But that's one, one more reason why I like to write my sermons, because I want to make sure that I say what I think is accurate, or at least true to, to my interpretation of that particular scripture text, so that, you know, if in case the person comes back and said to me, well, you remember when you said such and such a thing? Well, no, that's not quite what I said. You know, I said it this way, and this is what I mean by it, and I can expound on it if the person has a question, but... But but I but I really do believe that that you have to be uh, very precise. At least I have to be very precise in what I write, and uh, to make sure that it conveys what I wanted to say. And you know what? You raise a great point because I was just thinking as you were saying that I did a lot of liter literary studies in college, and in all those literary theory classes, you're always talking about authorial intent. And um, what did the author really mean here? And so I, I think that in your case, you're, you, you face a special challenge because you're dealing with something that for many people is not necessarily intangible, but very abstract and making sure that they're, uh, that your language is very precise about a very abstract thing and making sure that you're not being ambiguous about something that kind of is by nature ambiguous. That's a real challenge. So I appreciate your, your care in doing that. Let's see. I kind of also am very curious about, you said that when you do writing, you're doing a lot of it's an act of interpretation more than an act of creation. Do you get to do any writing that is a little bit more creative? Well, I try to blog. I, I don't, I'm not very consistent with it, which is really uh, frustrating to me because I want to do more of it. I do have a, a blog. I don't know, if, not to promote my blog, but it's pastorallende.com. 
And I do um, try as best I can to write something once a week. I don't always accomplish that, <laughs> but I do make the effort. And in there, I, I try to be a little more creative. To, um, I, I do bring in some personal things from time to time. And, and sometimes when I just, you know, my mind just runs dry, I'll, I'll put a sermon in there. That's always my, my backup. <laughs> but I try not to do that uh, very often. And, and one of the things that I try to do is try to attach my faith to current events and, and how my faith interprets what I'm seeing happening in the world. One of the other things I wanted to ask you is I have trouble learning other languages. I do. I am so mired in um, in English and I'm so single minded and maybe a little bit ignorant. I don't know in that way or I have trouble learning in that way. Um, you speak three languages? I, I want to say two and a half. Two and a because half. Because I, I don't ever, uh, you know, if you, if you need me to get you out of a jam in French, I might have a little problem <laughs> with that. But in, in English and Spanish, I feel I'm equally fluent. Is English your first language or is Spanish? Spanish is my first language. But again, I came to the mainland United States when I was seven years old. So I picked up English very quickly. I thank God for my parents and their insistence that we speak Spanish at home so that I never lost the fluency. And uh, however, I did learn to read it and write it here in the, in the mainland United States. So, but, but it's still, I, I had the, the ability to express myself because learning a language is always difficult when you're not a native speaker of that language. And uh, but, but with me, I, because I was so young and, uh, you know, kids are like sponges at that age, uh, they can soak up anything. And so I, I learned Spanish or I learned English very easily and was able to do it without forgetting my Spanish. The other thing my parents did is every summer they packed us off to New York City, where most of my relatives had migrated to. And in New York City, you don't need to speak English. So <laughs> it was for about two months in the summer. I spoke nothing but Spanish. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm curious, and this is just me as a person who only speaks one language. Do you ever notice that a message comes out easier in one language than the other? Or are there any, um, are there any differences in the way that you communicate with those two languages that's, that a message would come out differently in either one? Is that a weird question? That might be a weird question. No, no, it isn't. It's, it's um, you know, I think, and this is a bias of mine, that, that Spanish is a more expressive language than English is. Every word in Spanish has a gender, which we don't have in English. Mm. And so it's, 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 it's always interesting. For example, you know, the table is, is feminine in Spanish. It's la mesa. And uh, in English, it's just a table. It's, it's, it's a neutral. So, so I think that there's a, there's a, there's a beauty in, in languages having, uh, or nouns in, in, a, in a language having a gender that, that I just find always more fascinating. And I just think that, again, it's a more expressive language than, than English is. And because of that, I, I speak, Spanish is my first language, but I am actually English dominant. So it takes me a little while sometimes to express myself in Spanish because I have to think a little bit. It's not it doesn't always come naturally, uh, especially if I'm doing any public speaking or, or preaching in Spanish. It takes me a lot longer to write a Spanish sermon than it does to write an English sermon. Interesting. So then do you take different approaches when you're writing with one language as opposed to the other? 
Well, yes and no. I think what determines how I write is basically the the audience, if you will. When I was in the uh, Latino congregation, I, I was preaching to people who were immigrants. They were not from the United States, and and they had they came from from different countries of origin. Most of my congregation in the uh, Latino congregation were from poor countries. They themselves were poor uh, service workers, uh, farm workers, and so they had different needs than than preaching to the comfortable, if you will, people who were who were up from this country who are accustomed to the ways and 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 the customs here. And, and so there's that dictates a different approach because everyone wants to be made to feel welcome, and especially if you're a stranger. So most of my sermons that are, are geared towards an audience of, of immigrants would be, you know, God loves you no matter where you are, but you are welcome here. That's the one big difference that I notice. You ask a good question because I, I've never thought of it in the way that you asked the question about because of the difference in the language, do I need to approach it differently? I always, I don't think about that. I think more about the people that I'm addressing. I like that. And and I think that that ties in beautifully with what you said earlier about the power of words. You use that power for, you know, for good, for making people feel welcome and and loved and appreciated and as though, you know, they have worth and dignity. That is one of the greatest powers of language that I like to make sure that I use as well. And, and hopefully that comes out in this podcast that, you know, words do have power and you can wield it in such a way to make people feel welcome and invited. And so, boy, I love that so much. So this love of language and this calling do you feel as though they've been intertwined all along? Full disclosure, um, I grew up, my dad is, a, is also a Lutheran minister. And so I grew up with him talking about calling and vocation and this feeling that you are meant to do something. And I'm just curious if that call was always there or if you felt called to do your other positions, um, teaching and broadcasting, all three of which deal with language. Well, um Boy, do I have a great answer for that. I, I think I think we are all called to whatever it is that we do. Um, you know, we talk about vocation, and vocation comes from the Latin vocare, to call. So you are called to do your uh, content strategy and, and so forth and, and uh, whatever else you, you do in life and all the, I know that you do a lot of uh, volunteer work. That That is also a call. And, and I always tell people, if you think about what you do as a calling instead of a job, I think your approach will be different because I really think it's important to, to take what you do seriously because at that point, you may be doing it for yourself and for your own satisfaction, but everything you do affects someone else, you know, whether for good or bad. And, and so if we do more outward thinking as opposed to inward thinking, I think there would be just such an attitude change that would be uh, profound and would make a profound impact on our lives. Um, so yes, I, I feel called, but I, I do have to tell you that I resisted this call <laughs> for <laughs> the longest time because it was, oh, about 30 years ago now that my pastor told me that he thought I had the gifts for ministry. And I told him he was out of his mind, and I resisted. But but for ten years, once he planted the seed, 
that just kept gnawing and gnawing and gnawing at me until finally I succumbed to the to the call uh, to ordain ministry. But that uh, that wasn't on my radar whatsoever. So we talk about calling, and language has certainly played a large part in that, and so has sharing of messages. Do you know, um, and I'm curious, where this love of language came from? Were you a big reader, or were you read to a lot, or...? You know, that's a good question, and I don't know that I've given it a lot of thought. I, I think the fact that I came to a new culture at, at an early age gave me that curiosity about understanding uh, this new language. And of course, you know, I'm seven years old. I'm not. I'm not intellectualizing all this. I'm just. I'm, I'm just kind of backtracking now and thinking about it. But I think that that curiosity. I had that curiosity about learning English when I was a child. And, and I did, I was an avid reader. I loved, um, and for some, well, I've always loved sports. Uh, so I, I read as many sports books. Um, I don't know if in your uh, wanderings in the library you ever came across books by John R. Tunis. It was the, the kid from Tompkinsville and uh, the kid uh, strikes out and so on. And I just loved these sports books. And then I read a lot of biographies of athletes and uh, how this got mixed up in there. And I don't know because I've never done anything with it. Walter Farley, I used to love the Black Stallion and, and all those those books. <laughs> and so um, I did read a lot. And, and unfortunately, one of the things that, that now happens, because I have to read a lot of theology and uh, church administration type books, I don't get to read as much for pleasure as I as I used to. But uh, yeah, I was an avid reader when I was a child. If you had time to read for pleasure, what would you read? Um, I would try to read more fiction, although what I love to read more than anything else are biographies. Um, my most recent biography was, uh, an ex- really, I don't, well, I don't know if you could call it a biography, but it was The Bully Pulpit by Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, the story of Theodore Roosevelt and, uh, and William Taft in their friendship and how they came together and then kind of separated for a while. And then finally, uh, at the time of Roosevelt's death, they, they finally came back together again as friends. But I, I've, I've loved her books. Team of Rivals was one of the ones that just got me on a Lincoln kick. And for a while I was reading anything Abraham Lincoln. But I don't get to read fiction very much. I think probably the last fiction book that I read would have been... Um, uh, well, the Dan Brown books, you know, Angels and Demons and um, the uh, Da Vinci Code. And that, that's been a long time ago. <laughs> oh, those are fun, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I have uh, just one more question for you, then. What is the greatest piece of advice you've received from a mentor? This is going to sound like a very vague answer, but, um, you know, be authentic don't try to be someone whom you're not because uh, people, you know, people can spot a phony. I try to be uh, who I am uh, and, and try to be a person of integrity. Um, sort of what you see is what you get. And, and I, don't, I don't try to be um, too pretentious. Um, I, I try to, to maintain a certain sense of humility. But that's, that's probably the best advice that I've, that I've received, you know, be authentic and uh, don't try to pull the wool over someone's eyes. And as far as there, there's another another piece of advice that I received when I was entering into ministry, because, you know, I entered into ministry late in life and I always felt, well, you know, I don't have 
the experience. I don't have the uh, the theological background that say someone like your dad who who has been in ministry all of his adult life. Um, but uh, but someone told me, especially when I was going into the parish, you know, people don't care how much you know. They just want to know how much you care. That's one of those things that I just I just try to practice every day and try to show people that uh, I, I have a, a love for them and that love is put into me by God and, and I'm, I'm just a vessel who is there to transmit that love. Both of those points, I think, go back to, um, to everything that you're doing in, in message sharing. So being authentic and also being caring. And so I think that comes through beautifully and just wraps up everything that we've been talking about so nicely. It's been a true pleasure to speak with you today. So Abraham Allende is a wonderful person, and you should check out his blog, which I'll link to in my show notes. Otherwise, thank you again so, so much. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. And I will let you know uh, when this is coming out. And if you want to, I can let you listen to it before I air it. I trust you. <laughs> You're going to have a heck of an editing job. No, this is good. I just recently did a, um, I, I was at Trinity Seminary. Trinity has started a new program and it's called Spanish for Ministry. So what they're doing is they've taken all the liturgical, the liturgy, and uh, it's already been translated because we have uh, worship books in Spanish. And so for their students, um, they're doing really what amounts to a Rosetta Stone for, for ministry. They asked me to do the, um, the liturgical things in Spanish, you know, re- repeating them and then having the student repeat them. So we had to do a lot of that editing because I was stammering and stumbling and fumbling throughout. So, you know, I know about editing equipment and thank God for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't know that you did that. Was it fun? It was. It was. It was neat. And then, of course... I think the, the, the key will be um, the benefit that the students get from it because, um, you know, the, the, they're going to make copies available and, and actually the, the students can just take the CD and take it home and, and you know, put it in the car and, and practice while they're in the car. So um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy that they've taken that step. Glad to see that they're expanding their horizons. I am too. Thank you again so much. You are just such a pleasure to talk to. So... Thank you. You too. All right.